Father, we praise you that you are uh, so good to us. We thank you for what we've sung this morning. Thank you that you're a God who reigns. Thank you uh, that you're a God who sets us free. And Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to hear your voice. As we hear your voice, we pray that we wouldn't harden our hearts against it. Father, we pray uh, this morning that the children in Sunday groups and creche would hear your voice and come to know you for themselves. Father, we pray that as we hear your voice, we would uh, see how great Jesus is and we would know just how much he has done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it that we, uh, we struggle to, um, or I struggle at least, uh, to tell other people about Jesus Christ? Why do we struggle to tell others about Jesus? I guess it's something we, we, we know, isn't it, that we ought to be doing. So if you remember back in Mark chapter 1, we've, we've been in Mark's gospel for a while if you're visiting us. Um, uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, do you remember how Jesus called the fishermen to himself to, to do what, do you remember, to be fishers of men, to, to go out and, and, and get people um, to follow Christ, to bring others to him. So if we're following Jesus, that's, that's, what we, that's part of what we need to be doing. In fact, it's one of our aims here at, at Christchurch Campbell, that uh, one of our aims is to love the community in, in a way that only the church can do. So uh, different to any other charity organisation, only the church can proclaim the gospel. And we want to do that to this community, we want to tell others about Jesus. Now, of course, that requires wisdom, doesn't it? So um, in today's culture, there, what is there? There's a scepticism about authority. There is a, a, an apathy towards anything kind of spiritual. Um, so what do you do? You build relationships and you allow people to trust you as a Christian. You allow them to see that, that Christians are normal. But of course, over the long term, as we do that, what do we want to do? We want to tell them about Christ. You know, we want to make that relationship count. And I think whilst we build relationships really well, actually that's that final step, isn't it? That, that step of telling somebody about Jesus that just seems so hard sometimes. It seems like such a struggle. We know we ought to do it. I think most of us want to do it. And yet we find it difficult. Now, that's not to say that's the... the, the the case for us all of us all the time I'm sure most of us or many of us have had really clear opportunities to talk about Jesus we've taken those opportunities some of us may have found times where it's easy to talk about Jesus but I suspect that actually most of us here have times where we find it hard and even as we grow older as a Christian the longer we follow Jesus actually the harder we find it you know, even the experts if you can uh, call it that find it hard so here's a quote from a chap called Rico Twice. He, he's written this book. By the way, this is a great book. Uh, if you want to take this away off the back of this sermon, feel free. Um, uh, it's called Honest Evangelism, Rico Tice. He's an evangelist. 
which means his job is to tell other people about Jesus and to help other people tell others about Jesus. Um, and anyway, he, he's written this book on this, and here's how he starts the book. Here's how he, 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 what he says. He says, I find evangelism hard. I find evangelism hard. The problem with being an evangelist is that people assume that you find it effortless. But I don't find it easy. I never have. For me, telling people about Jesus has often been nerve-wracking. Now, I suspect that we, we get that. I, I, I get that. You know, we struggle to tell others about Jesus. And this morning, I want to, us to think about the question, why? What, why is that? Why do we struggle? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and think about that question. Uh, why do you think it's a struggle to tell other people about Jesus? Or you might just want to share why you personally struggle to tell others about Jesus. Now look, if you'd rather not have that conversation, that's fine. If you just want to stare out the window for a bit and have a bit of a mental break, no worries. But let's have two minutes. Why do you think you struggle to tell them about Jesus? Go for it. Let's have one minute. Okay, uh, let's just go on and just chuck some stuff out. Don't, don't literally chuck anything. Just tell me, tell me what a couple of things you came, came out with. Go on, Chris, you get stars. Uh, Sorry, mate. You assume they're not interested. Yeah, you assume people aren't interested. Yeah, thanks. Anything else? Go on, John. Yeah, we think people won't like us. Joyce, is that what you're going to say? Uh, yeah, rejection. Yeah, absolutely. Anything, anything different did we get? Go on, Glenn. Uh, this is my father-in-law, by the way. <laughs> give, give him a warm, a warm welcome uh, after the service. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they, they know us too well, don't they? And we think, you know, how can we tell somebody about this if... Yeah, that, that's, that's very helpful. Thanks. Okay, great. I, I guess look, there, there are lots of reasons, aren't there? There, there, there? I think there are tons of reasons that you can investigate. But you see, this morning's passage gives us one reason. It gives us just... It's not the reason, but it's one reason why we struggle um, what, 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 what happens is we see a man, and it's a man that we've never met before in Mark's Gospel. Um, he's not one of the disciples, and we, we see a number of these people in Mark's Gospel. What happens is that they're a flash in the pan. They appear, and then they, they're, they're, they're gone. But you see something about them that teaches you something about the way you follow Jesus. It happens all the time. So he comes out of nowhere, he meets Jesus, and here's the thing. He goes away telling other people about Jesus. And the question is, Why? What, what causes him to do that? You know, why does he not find it difficult to tell others about Jesus? That's what we're going to think about. We'll see why. It will take us a bit of time to get there, but we'll see why, why that is. Uh, we'll watch him uh, and watch him meet Jesus, but more than that, we'll watch him experience the power of of Jesus. That's where we are in Mark's Gospel. So we're in this section where we've seen the King, Jesus the King, has all authority, and we've seen that mostly through his teaching. But here we see his authority, we see his power in action. So um, 
in action against our greatest enemies. Last week we saw, didn't we, that Jesus calmed the storm. Next week we'll see Jesus' power over death. And this week you could say, well, we see another storm. And the striking thing is, whereas last week the storm was, you know, it was a hurricane and it was, it was coming at the disciples, it was coming into the boat, this week we see that the storm is on the inside. It's on the inside of the man. And as he experiences the power of Jesus, everything changes, not just for him, but for other people too. Look at the story in three parts. We see the man himself, then we see Jesus, and then we see the response. Okay, so what do, what do we see that, as we look at the man? This is the first thing we see. We, we, we look at the man and we see the power of Satan to ruin. The power of Satan to ruin. So this is the storm that's on the inside of him. What's happened is Jesus and his disciples have been in a boat and they've, they've come across that, that, that storm. They've been crossing the lake. Verse 1, they get to the other side. And what happens straight away, a man that we've never met before comes to meet Jesus. Have a look at him in verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. What do we see about him? The man has an impure spirit. And we know from verse 12 that the spirit is a demon. It's evil. It's against God. And what we know from the rest of the Bible is that all demons work for Satan. So ultimately, it's the power of Satan that is inside this man. That's the impure spirit inside him. And what we see is that he lives alone in a tomb. This demon has enormous power, it controls him, and no one or nothing can help. Just have a look at verse 3. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not not even with a chain, for, for he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now, that's not a surprise, uh, because uh, what we see later on is when Jesus meets this demon, he, he, he asks who he is, and he replies, uh, my name is Legion. Now, Legion means a, a Roman army of thousands. So you see, the power of Satan within a man is more like this. You see, it's, it's an army of thousands. That, that's the storm inside him. And so it's no surprise, is it, that no one can subdue him. Now, what's the storm doing? What, what, what are these demons, this legion, doing inside him? It's destroying him. It ruins him. Let's have a look at verse uh, 5 uh, with me. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, that's not normal. This man is not doing what he ought to be doing. Crying out, cutting himself, he's in ruin. 
Furthermore, he lives in the tombs. Now, the Old Testament tells us that's a place for people who are unclean, who are against God, who are outcast. And it's a place, isn't it, for dead people. You see, this guy is as good as dead. What we see here is the power of Satan to ruin. Now, I recognise this, this here, what we see in, in front of us, is, is an extreme example. And I, I'm not sure that any of us would have been in that kind of state. Maybe so, but, but perhaps not. With a de- demon explicitly working in us this way. But you see, the extreme case here just typifies the work of Satan and his army in every single one of us. Say, in the Garden of of Eden, everything was perfect. God had made Adam and Eve, and and they they showed God, they, they reflected God. And Satan took them, and they went against him. Now, they were responsible for their sin, but Satan had lured them into thinking that life was better without God that life was better if they didn't trust his word. And as soon as they believed that lie, they were no longer what they were made to be. They were ruined. So ruined that they're as good as dead. See, it's like, there it was, God painted this this perfect picture. If you imagine just a beautiful picture created by the perfect artist, God himself, right there, masterpiece. And what what happens is Satan comes along to this frame picture and he just paints black marks all over it. And as you look at it, all you can see is is the black marks. You you can can still see, if you look really closely, you can still see some goodness. You can still see some of the original. You can can even work out that, that God was the one who originally painted it, but But actually, it's not as it should be. It's ruined. You might as well just throw it away. And every single one of us is born under the power of Satan and his army. We're born as ruined people. And we helplessly follow Satan. We we cannot live for God as we're supposed to. We're ruined. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, you are a shadow of this man. Okay, you you may not cry out and cut yourself and live in a tomb, but you are not as you are meant to be. If you look at yourself honestly, you will know that. You will know that you have not lived the life that you were supposed to you will know that this, this, this life is, is, is kind of bursting with joy and yet we're always longing for something more. Everything just doesn't seem quite right. All of us were there. Every single one of us. The power of Satan ruined us. And with this kind of power... The question we're kind of left with at this point, as you look at the man, the question you're left with is, well, is there any hope? Is there any hope for this man here? Well, wonderfully there is, because the next thing we see is that the power of Jesus is greater. The power of Jesus is greater. That's the second thing we see. 
So we've seen how uh, the power of Satan is uh, to ruin. It's a real power. It cannot be matched. It's a whole army of uh, Satan's demons working in this man. It looks unstoppable until the demons face Jesus. They come face to face with Jesus. And what happens is they beg him. They cower down. They shrink. They beg. They look like nothing. Have a look at verse uh, 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of the voice, what, uh, top of his voice, "What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me!" And Jesus has commanded them to leave the man. But again, in verse ten, look what happens. He begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Now they see that Jesus is going to do just that. They see this bunch of pigs on a hillside. But again, what happens in verse twelve? The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they were drowned. You see, the work of Satan looks unstoppable in this man, doesn't it? But the power of Jesus is unmistakably greater. Because all you see Satan doing is begging him. A few weeks ago, um, if you were here, uh, I, uh, in chapter one, we, we saw, didn't we, the, the authority of Jesus over a demon, he silenced a demon. And I used this example of um, school I used to work in, it was a, we used to have this fire drill, and there was this old head teacher of mine called Corporal Common, really scary guy. And what happened with, was the, the, the kids would come out onto the grass and they were supposed to stand and be silent, dead still, and dead straight lines, but actually it was utter chaos. So they, they ran between the lines to see their friends, they were making tons of noise, the teachers were frantically kind of trying to control these kids, absolute chaos everywhere. And then what happened is the head teacher appeared and he stood there and there was absolute silence in an instant. Chaos everywhere, he came out and there was still. And what we see in this passage is there's just a step more, isn't there? It's not that they're silent. Yeah, it's not that Corporal Common comes out and the kids are silent. It's actually they shrink before him. They look like absolutely nothing. They cower down and they beg for his mercy. Please don't use your power. Please don't send us away. Now, of course, that, that's exactly what Jesus does. This army of demons is, is drowned. And in verse 15, we see that the man is restored. He's now in his right mind. He, he's been set free. Because the power of Jesus is greater. You see, <clears throat> Satan and his army of demons are real and they are great. And there is a real spiritual battle going on in every human being. And yet this battle is not one where we're unsure of the outcome. You know, it's not like a Murray and, um, sorry, what's the guy's name? Ranich. Say it again, Jimmy. Ranich. Ranich. It's not like this afternoon. It's not like uh, Ranich and, and Murray where you're going to be ed on the edge of your seat and you don't quite know who's going to win and, you know, it's going to be a really close cause. It's not like that. We, you know, we, it's not like it could go either way. You see from the reaction here, the power of Jesus is so much greater that Satan simply cannot win. He cannot win. And with this particular man, Satan's work has come to an end. 
And the great news for us is that beyond this encounter, Jesus has defeated every single demonic power that exists. He did it at the cross. As he took sin upon himself, that the power of Satan is completely crushed. And if you trust in Jesus at the cross, then Satan has no power over you. This morning we're set free from this army. We're just like this man here. We're restored. We've gone from a hopeless ruin to certain restoration. So the black marks on the painting, they're no longer what dominates the picture. It's been restored to its former glory. It's just as it was. Now it's worth saying, of course, that I guess we, we, we feel those, we feel like there's, you know, as, as Glenn mentioned, we feel like there's these black marks that still exist, don't they? And that's because Satan and his army are still around and they're always at work. Uh, now, they don't necessarily make everything go wrong in your life. That's not how they work all the time. What they try to do is they try to get you in any and every situation to stop trusting God. But you see, as a Christian, even when you give in to that, Satan can never send you to hell. Never. Because Jesus is greater. We must respond to that. You know, if that's, if that's us, or either way, as you look at Jesus, you've got to respond. This is the final thing we see this morning. Jesus' power means response. Jesus' power means uh, response. So if we see the power of Jesus, then we must respond. There's two sets of people here that that have seen the power of Jesus, uh, and they give rise to two different responses. And as we might expect in Mark, uh, those responses are fear and faith. Just as they were last week, as we looked at the storm, those two responses oppose one another. Fear goes one way, faith goes the other. So the first response we see here is fear. Uh, Verse 14 tells us that those who were looking after the pigs that drowned, they went off into the town, they went into the countryside, they said, look, this uh, incredible thing has happened. And what happened is a load of people then came up uh, to see, to meet Jesus and see what happened. So have a look at their response in verse 15. Let's have a look at verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. See, here is a man who no one could subdue. And suddenly, Jesus arrives with a greater power, a power above all others, and they are afraid. And so what do they do? Verse 17, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. See, their fear of Jesus leads to a rejection of Jesus. That is the typical non-Christian response. What, what we see, you know, you see the power of Jesus right in front of your eyes. It's a power like no other, power that you cannot control but will control you. And you just don't want it. You don't want that power ruling over 
your life. And so they reject Jesus. And if that's you this morning, what I want to say is, look, Satan and his army continue to rule you and continue to ruin you. Might seem great, but it's not. Satan's power is great, but but it's evil. Jesus' power is greater and it's good. And if you submit to him, yes, he will rule your life. He is the king, of course he will rule your life. But you're not giving up your life. You're being set free. So if you're here this morning and you're rejecting Jesus out of fear, please look at him. Please go to him and be restored into your right mind. Now if that has happened to us, then there's a second and a different response. This response is faith. We see it in the man. He's been transformed, he now has faith, and we come back to our opening question at this point because we see the faith works itself out in a particular way. Just have a look at verse uh, 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, means ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You see, this man is no longer under the rule of Satan. He's under the rule of Jesus, and he does exactly as Jesus asks. He goes out to ten cities, that's what Decapolis means, and he tells the people about Jesus. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference between the man and the crowd? The, man, the, the, reje- the crowd that reject Jesus and the man who goes and tells people about Jesus. They've both seen the power of Jesus before them. What is the difference between them? The difference is that this man has experienced for himself the power of Jesus. He knows it inside him. He knows it's a good thing. And what he tells the people, doesn't just tell them about Jesus, he tells them how much the Lord has done for him. How the Lord has had mercy on him. How without Jesus he'd be ruined, he'd be dead. See, isn't this what we need to know? Yet, if we struggle, just as I do, to tell others about Jesus, then consider how much Jesus has done for you. You see, you don't need need to know a lot about Jesus to talk about him. You don't need a scheme or a a kind of a plan. Uh, You don't need to be a perfect person. You don't need to be bold even. You don't need to muster up boldness. You just need to know how much he's done for you. You're as good as dead, you were ruined, and now you're in your right mind, you're restored. And the more you know just how hopeless your situation was, the more you want to share it with hopeless people. The more you dwell on how good and merciful Jesus is, the more you'll want to talk, not about yourself, but about him. 
Now, I guess the problem is that, that you know, it's still hard to express that faith. Sometimes we, 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 you know, we find ourselves afraid. And that, at that point, I guess we need to reason that, that actually what we're afraid of is the power of Jesus over our lives. Yet there's a sense in which we can become just like the crowd, that we, we don't really want Jesus around at all. We don't want to live for him. And so we just need to keep coming back. We need to keep reminding ourselves, reminding one another just how much he has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, praise you so much that um, the only one who could rescue us, the only one who could defeat the power of Satan has done it for those who trust in you. Father, thank you that Jesus takes us from ruin and restores us. And we pray that we would know ourselves just how much he has done for us and long to tell others about him. Please help us, we pray for your glory. Amen. Great. So um, we just have a brief uh, time now for questions or comments. And um, it's, we found it really helpful just to give people a bit of time to talk um, perhaps about something they've heard or a question they want to ask or something like that. Um, so take a couple of minutes. And again, you know, if, you don't, if you don't want to talk about what you've just heard, uh, yeah, just look at the wind blowing in the trees and pass the time. And in a couple of minutes, um, we'll have some time for questions and comments, etc. Any um, any thoughts or comments or so you, you you know feel free to say anything uh, if it's if it's something that you want to share or um, had a few of those last week that was good or as a question you want to ask um, feel free now's the time to do it. Uh, okay, we've got we'll go David and then Christoph. Go for it. Yeah, thanks, um, David. So basically, um, I don't think they they don't necessarily have to, but it is significant. So the the pigs are seen uh, in Jewish culture as unclean. They're, they're, they're something that you do not touch. So what you have here is you have an unclean man living in the tombs with an unclean spirit going into an unclean animal. And the point is, I guess, that Jesus gets rid of um, everything that is against God. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's the reason why. Um, it might just be because they're there, but there is some significance this... Sorry, um, Prabhu? Nothing else around that area by the time. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there you go. Is that, is that helpful? Do you want to? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, go on, Christoph. And then we'll go to Annie. Yeah. It's almost the same question, but uh, why doesn't Jesus just destroy the demons? 
permission to go to the police. Yeah, so I get it. I think he's making the same point that it's, it, it, it's say, if, 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 if we were, if, if here we were Jewish, uh, we, we, would, we would probably see this story very, you know, we would see it, uh, not differently, but we would see it in a much richer depth. And if I, if I had an hour, uh, I, I, would, I would go into that kind of <laughs> thing. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just the point that, um, yeah, unclean man, unclean spirit, unclean animal, uh, Jesus is, is, is not... Uh, is, is effectively restoring, um, y- you know... The kind of the, the the whole of the uh, how can you put this? Um, so just the, the Jewish system. You remember in chapter two, we saw how he was replacing the Jewish system, uh, and in doing so, also restoring all those who are separated from God uh, because of that. Um, I think, yeah. Um, there you go. Uh, Annie, did you want to say something? No, I, do you know what? That is a really... Hel- I hadn't actually thought of that, and I, I think that's a really helpful thing. So what Annie's saying, just the recording, is um, basically uh, one of the reasons that these people reject Jesus uh, may be because they, 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 he's just got rid of their livelihood. He's got rid of everything they own. And um, I guess that, is, that, is a, that shows you, doesn't it, where Jesus comes along and he demands everything. He demands your whole life. And they, these people here... Do not want that. Um, uh, so that's a really helpful observation. Thanks. Thanks, Annie. Yeah. Um, go for it. Uh, it's Lee. Yeah. There's a really, really helpful question. Thanks very much. So the, the question is, there's two really questions. One, what, what happened to the impure spirit? The second is, uh, we still see people cutting themselves today. Is that a sign of demon possession? Now, um, let me just take the first one. I, what we read here is that they drowned. Um, I take that to mean that they, they died. I guess on one level, your point is right, that, that demons are spirits, so we just don't know that, um, uh, whether they died or not. The, point, the, the thing that we see here is that they are no longer have control over the, the guy. That's, that's the focus. So the man is freed from them, whether they cease to exist or not. Now, we know in the bigger picture of things that Satan and demons and his army and all those who work for him do, do still exist. Um, and so they're, not, they're still around, even if the power has been taken away from them for Christians. They're still around and they won't cease to exist until Jesus comes back. Um, uh, so, yeah... Um, I, I, don't, I don't know here. I, I think that with the language of, of drowning, I, th- I think you could say that the, this particular legion ceased. Um, but the point is the man is set free. Does that help? Yeah. I think the, the sec- your second question is really helpful. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess that is a problem, isn't it? It's a problem amongst uh, lots of people today, self-harming and that kind of thing. Now... Is that a sign of demon possession? I don't think you can always come to that conclusion. What we do know is that it's certainly not, it's certainly not right, it is what it is. It's self-harming, you know. It's, um, and there, I guess there are lots and lots of factors that go into that. So there'll be factors of they're growing up, there'll be, there'll be um, factors in their own thinking, then they're potentially they're, they're, um, the way they view things. 
I think if they're not a Christian, then you can say, look, they are under the rule of Satan. They are, they are possessed by Satan. And that will, f- well, that will play into that. If that person is a Christian, then the great news is they're not going to go to hell because they're free from Satan. And the reasons that they're self-harming are, are, are complex and vast. And I guess it takes a lot of pastoral counselling and biblical input to, to help that person and to, um, uh, to try and, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, um, help them away from that. That may include medical help, that kind of thing. I guess. Did, sorry, does that help in any way? Sorry, Glenn, did you want to chip in there? No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. Is that, is that helpful? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think that, I, I guess, uh, you, do, you do see that happen, and I think there's lots of factors that go into that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that that person is not a Christian because they've done that. Uh, I would say there's, there's lots of... I mean, the bottom line is that God makes us a Christian, not us. And so there is a wonderful um, truth there that, that regardless of what we do, um, you know, God's people, God's saved people are saved. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. Sorry, then let's, let's go for the... Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. No, that, that's really helpful, isn't it? There, there's lots we can see in that guy, isn't there? That, um, or, or there's lots we can see in, in, in terms of the crowd being afraid that actually this guy has... Glenn's point is that this guy has changed massively and pe- the people fear that, ultimately because of the authority that Jesus has. You know, this, this, if this guy has changed this person, then he can change me. Uh, and as you say, people don't like that. They don't like change. Okay, Jimmy, go on. Uh, I think we've got a bit of time. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's um, so Jimmy is saying that um, the New Testament, a lot talk about demons, and yet we don't quite see. Are you saying we don't see today this, what's going here on the, here in this man? Yeah. No, yeah, that's right. And I, I think the point I want to make is actually, whilst this guy is an extreme example, whereas his demon possession is very explicit, um, I want to say actually they're real and our problem is we're so blind to that. Now I don't know um, how much, um, if you went to a a country in um, uh, Africa for example, I think I've heard of much more explicit work of demons. I don't know why that is, I don't know, I can't explain that. I think here we are um, very dangerously unaware of the work of Satan. And the point I want to make is, is, is the, what's going on with the guy is, is just a, typifies what goes on for all of us, that he wants to ruin, he wants, he wants us to do what, what we ought not to do. Uh, that's the kind of principle that we see. And I think that the lesson for us there is, look, we need to be, if we're not a Christian, we need to trust Jesus because he's the only one who can get rid of that. And we are captive to Satan, even though we, we won't realise it. We won't, we won't see that. If we are a Christian, we need to be aware, um, not afraid, but aware that that is what Satan is trying to do. He, 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 so Satan is behind every single sin. We're responsible for our sin, but Satan will sugarcoat everything 
to make sure, to try and get us to, to trust not in God but other things. Um, yeah. Um, 